Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Our guests today are Jeff Lee and Courtney Shields, the co-founders of Dibs Beauty. Thank you both for being here. Where are each of you based? So I'm actually based in Austin. I was born in Manhattan, but I've grown up here pretty much since I was two. So I'm a bit of a unicorn. Not much, not many of us out there. And I cover the other coasts. So I'm between New York and California, specifically Los Angeles and Orange County. All right. So what do you guys have for an office situation with Dibs? Are you based in a central headquarters? Are you totally remote? Yeah, we're a bit of a hybrid situation. We have we have had a Austin office since we launched, and that's where the company's headquartered. Obviously, Courtney's the heart and soul of the brand, and um, Dibs is an Austin company. But we really pick up talent wherever we find it. So a large portion of the team is spread out, and um, we come together on very regular basis. Those of um, the team who are outside of Austin or our main kind of hubs on the coast. So before we talk about the brand, I thought you could each share some details about your backgrounds and what brought you to beauty. Courtney, you've been an influencer for quite a while now. How did you first get started on social media? A hot minute for sure. Back before influencing was really a thing. Um, I actually started out literally taking photos for Instagram by this dumpster Um, No one knew that there was a dumpster there, but I used to take all my Instagram photos outside this dumpster. So a lot has changed since then. Um, I really got into social media and beauty as um, really just it was a passion for me forever and ever. I have always loved beauty. I've seen people as recent as like a year ago that told me I gave them beauty advice on the bus in fifth grade. So it's just kind of already always been like an ethos, a huge part of who I am as a person. But um, I really, I grew up in Austin. And when I grew up in Austin back in the day, there was not a lot of diversity here. I'm Lebanese and I was pretty much the diversity, which is obviously like, kind of sad to say this um, when you really think about it, but I didn't really feel represented in the beauty community in many ways. I felt like at the time, the beauty standard was pretty much Mary-Kate Nashley, uh, so the Olsen twins, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears. Like That was really the majority of what we saw represented um, on TV, really, which was, like our, I guess, our social media, in essence, back in the day. And so I never really felt like I learned to embrace my features. I didn't feel that confident in my skin until I got older and really learned how to do that. And I think I just wanted to help other women feel beautiful and learn how to embrace their natural features and really embrace what what made them them, whatever that was. And so I thought maybe I could do that in through social media. And I was always my friend's go-to person when it came to things like they're going on a date. What what should they go get? They're stuck in Sephora. They're in Ulta. They have no idea what to buy. They, have a, they need a foundation. They have oily skin. What do they do? Um, I was always doing my friend's makeup, and I just love the idea of helping women feel beautiful because I really do think it's this outside-in, inside-out thing. And that's really, I think, what started it all nine years ago. So you were early on the Instagram bandwagon. Did you ever do YouTube as well, or were you Instagram first? I've dabbled in YouTube always, but it's been like a one-a-week YouTube videos, whereas Instagram was has really been essentially like my full-time job for years. So back in the day, though, it was a blog. Like I had a full-blown blog where I would write my, you know, in- journal entries essentially and then do the Instagram posts by the dumpster, obviously. So the dumpster was in the pictures or what? what's the story of the no, dumpster? It, it's more just that it's like how far I've come. I laugh about it. I, at the time, was dating a guy who played for the Dallas Cowboys who ended up being my ex-husband at this point. 
And we lived in an apartment in Dallas because he was playing at the time. And so we needed to be in an apartment by the practice facility. And there was nowhere good that I could shoot photos. It was either like this stone sort of limestone wall, or it was outside where they had this green area, but it was located directly next to this dumpster. So I just have, you know, fond memories of starting my career by the dumpster, I guess. That's very Instagram versus reality. Exactly. There was a lot of reality. So, Jeff, you were the COO at A-Rod Corp before launching this brand. How did that get you into beauty? <laughs> no, from baseball to beauty. Uh, I mean, I took a pretty unconventional journey. Like Courtney, I had the experience of growing up a minority, um, you know, in a community that didn't look like me. But I also had the uh, kind of the bug for beauty very early on. I was actually a fan of, of all things the Miss Universe uh, pageant. And um, later on became a coach for many of the girls that end up competing at Miss Universe and Miss World. Um, it's like the Olympics of beauty for other countries. And I traveled the world. I've done probably 15 to 20 countries. Uh, most recently Peru. And, uh, you know, there you see where beauty is um, taken uh, not only as a superficial thing, but as an aspirational um, way of life, right? And um, you can really see how it forms such a foundation for um, people everywhere. And, um, you know, I had a similar experience with uh, traveling the country with Alex Rodriguez. You know, we went to 30 stadiums a year um, for MLB telecasts. And there I got a chance to talk to women um, across America about, you know, what was making them tick, about what they liked about beauty and what and what they didn't like about beauty, um, about the pieces of, of the beauty industry that don't fit into their lives. And so that really kind of gave me a sense of mission. On top of that, A-Rod, I'm very proud of him, you know, was one of the first uh, athletes of his caliber to launch a male makeup line. And we worked on that together. And that was a lot of fun. It really taught me a lot about shade matching, about formulation, and also about solving a problem. Because obviously it's not just women, but it's people of all gender identities that face, um, you know, problem solution questions in their lives, but are also just looking to present their best self. And that's what beauty is um, in, a um, in, in a large form, which is presenting the best version of yourself that you choose um, to put in the world. And were you involved with JLo Beauty at all at that time? <laughs> um, you know, the, there, there's definitely uh, a bit of work on the side there, uh, you know, consulting with, you know, some pretty, pretty big names in the world. And not just Alex and Jennifer, but others. And so I've been very lucky to see beauty at its very kind of um, most maximalist <laughs> interpretation. Okay. And how did you get involved with the pageant world? I had to just knock on a lot of doors. I think like Courtney, and I think this is one area where we really bonded. It's like both of us are very proud of our hustle and our grit. Um, the fact of the matter is you don't go to school to go and do what Courtney did. And I like to joke that, you know, I'm a corporate lawyer by training, obviously, and, and I lecture at law schools around the country as well. And I was telling them, and I got this question. I said, well, obviously, just like being a lawyer, I went to beauty pageant school. I passed, I got my beauty pageant license. And then, you know, and, and then I was like, no, that's not how you do it. I literally followed girls in high school to their pageants and asked them if I could coach them. They were all very scared. But um, over the years, persistence paid off. So I literally cold-called people in other countries asking if I could coach them. And now they come to me. But you know, for I still feel very much like the little kid knocking on the door saying, can I be your coach for this? I think this is really cool. And do you still do the pageant coaching as well? 
Yes, they do it for fun, you know, on the side when, um, you know, dibs permits, you know, and, um, and I'm very proud because many of these women do end up wearing dibs and you do see it, um, you know, in the background and um, of their daily routine. So it's just, it's not just ordinary woman or, um, you know, it's also, you know, Miss Universe, Miss World, Miss International, Miss America, Miss USA, they're all wearing it. Um, and obviously I've been very proud to continue that. It's a lot of fun and you get to meet a lot of interesting people along the way, <laughs> needless to say. <laughs> What one more question on the pageant thing, and then we can get into Dibs Beauty. Um, what what's the hardest part to coach? What's the hardest competition to prepare them for? Is it the answering the questions or the walking? What do you think? It's all mental. Um, you know, the most beautiful woman, um, the most um, as however you choose to define it. In my experience, um, almost never wins. I'd say it's maybe happened. Um, in my, from my point of view, the most beautiful person I thought the pageant won two years in the last 25. It's all about mental um, acuity. The fact of the matter is it's taken like an Olympic sport in other countries. And, um, you know, I think as women, you know, Liz and um, Courtney, you both understand what it's like to walk into a room with just uh, with only other women. And, um, you know, there is like society by nature puts women into a competition with one another. That's a very unfair aspect of society. It's something that I, you know, really, really, you know, find um, is a totally di different dynamic um, being a man in this world. And um, what we try to encourage um, in winners is the whole mindset of, you know, you're not there competing against anyone else. I know that sounds very trite, but the fact of the matter is you don't know who's going to win and whose moment it is. You can only control your own inputs. And the judges are looking for someone who goes up there and simply radiates that confidence and says, I am the winner. You know, I, I like it's simply my moment. And that transcends any kind of walk, any kind of rehearsed Q&A, any kind of physical beauty. That kind of confidence simply, you know, it's there or it's not. It's our job to bring it out of someone. But um, most of the time, you know, you can pretty much tell whether someone's got that mindset and that focus. So let's get into the story of the Dibs Beauty launch. You were both introduced via the co-founders of Tula. What's the story of how the idea for Dibs came about? <laughs> so I did a collaboration with Tula a couple of years ago. I want to say it's like maybe four years ago at this point. I had been working with Tula for many years in my career. We like to say we kind of grew up together. I was a baby influencer at their time. They were a baby brand. I think we maybe started working together when I had closer to, you know, 70K or something. And they also weren't as known. I think I was one of the first three influencers to ever work with them. And now you know um, how many people work with them. So that was quite a long time ago, too. But we worked together for years. I loved the team. I developed a really good relationship with everybody. My audience really loved Tula. They bought just a ton of it. And so I decided to pitch them one day. I was in Dallas at dinner. And I just said, you know, I had been offered so many collaborations, not collaborations, but more so like my oppor an opportunity to put my name on something. Uh, but I never took any of them. I turned them all down because I it was really important to me to not just white label something. I always wanted to understand how to build something from the ground up because I knew that one day I would want to do that in a bigger way, which has now obviously turned into dibs. But I pitched them this idea. We sat down over Italian food and a glass of wine. And I said, I have an idea. I know um, exactly what I want to do. I want to do it with you guys. They loved it. We did it. Um, and after many trips to New York and really creating this product from the ground up, because again, I didn't want to white label it. Um, I started to sort of fall in love with the process of that, built a great relationship with the team. The people, the people that are following me absolutely love the product. I think uh, we had a 
a million dollar day. Um, and so the co-founders at the time of Tula basically said, who the hell is this? That's that's how they would tell the story, I think, at least. And um, they really kind of reached out to me, asked me what I wanted to do next, what I had in mind. I said, look, this has always been my dream. I know I can do this. I love it. Like, I have such a passion for it. Being an influencing and um I say that with air quotes because I feel like it's a bit of a dirty word these days, but like doing what I do in social media for so long has given me the ability to talk to people all around the world, all around the country every single day to learn what they like, similar to what Jeff said, what they don't like, what they love about beauty, what makes them feel good, what makes them feel shitty. Um, And then I also tried everything under the sun. I get PR from brands every day and I tried all the products in Sephora, all the products in Ulta, Target, you name it, Walgreens. I've tried pretty much everything under the sun. And so I knew where the holes were in the market, what was working and what wasn't. And I felt that I had a really strong vision. Um, and then Jeff, you can pick up at your part, but essentially one of our co-founders introduced us. We It was love at first sight. It was kind of like speed dating, but he came by way of one of our other co-founders. And it was through Zoom, you know, in the deep pandemic. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we've already kind of moved on from that world. But Courtney and I talked every day for nine months without ever meeting in person. And that was really the, the genesis of this. We built this company in the, like, via via the screen. And um, it was funny meeting her for the first time at a, uh, at the lab that we were working with. And it was just as if this person had watched straight out of the screen. <laughs> but, right, you know, like, but it, we were exactly, I think, who we were to each other, even though we had never met in person. One thing that really struck me about Courtney, too, was, number one, um, the clarity of the product vision of the problems she was solving, but also the joy to Eve that she wanted to give uh, to the customer. Uh, to me, that's really key. There's no point in doing a beauty brand these days. 20 have launched um, probably since we sat down and started talking, unless you can do both. Solve a problem and make people feel good in some di- in some way or form. Um, but also that Courtney had a greater vision. Um, the fact is the mission of Dibs, right, is Desert Island beauty status. It's uh, the makeup that you would take with you to a desert island. Courtney was very adamant that she didn't want this to be named after herself. It's very refreshing for me coming from celebrity world. Um, Do you have somebody who could look beyond their own universe and say, I'm going to solve something for everyone? And um, those were just two of the very underlying reasons why I think it was such a great match from the beginning. But that and the fact that I think we just we both operate in great synchronicity. Um, we're very complementary in um, the strengths and the weaknesses that we each have and our ability to kind of lock in with each other on different things. And like you say, she is a business first creative and I'm a product first CEO. And if I'm correct, you've raised $2.6 million so far in funding from the co-founders of Tula and L. Catterson Partners. Did you want to talk about the fundraising process and what that was like? I think the most interesting thing from this whole process is not just who you choose to be, you know, in partnership with, right? Because we've been very fortunate. I I would like to say, you know, the founders of Tula, Ken and Dan, are first of all two of the best people you could ever hope to be in. You know, for in terms of their own complementary strengths, they're kind of like a another version of Courtney and myself in many ways. No redundancy among the four of us, but lots of jokes. But yeah. um, they're they're great businessmen. They're great. Um, they're visionaries, but they're also just great people to do business with. You know, and I think that that's something we appreciate every day. But I would also like to say, you know, and here I might be mansplaining a bit, but you know, the fact is, Courtney walks into a lot of rooms, including one that we were in this week, where she is the only woman. 
And that point isn't lost on me, especially because 100% of our employees, myself excluded, are women. We are an all-woman company other than myself. And that dynamic has never you know, eluded me the fact that she is often there defending not only herself, but this baby that we've built together. And she is the only woman in the room. And um, you know, I'm sure she feels it out about her speech you led, but certainly I feel it even from the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's been a pretty incredible journey. All of us together, I think, work very well. And it's not dissimilar to what you said about Miss Universe. I think it's always, it's like passion, it's time and place. It's just who's going to sort of grab and take that moment. And I think that's something that we've all come together to do really well, which we're proud of. And it's also cool to have had our friends and family invest and believe in us and back us and be able to show up for them, I think has been really inspiring too. And how did you come up with the concept for the brand? And do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the brand, from the day one, like Jeff said, I knew I didn't want it to be Courtney Shields Beauty or really anything that had to do with me. I was very passionate about wanting dibs to, it's kind of like when you want your kids to be better than you, like even better than you could ever imagine. You want to set them up and then you want them to exceed anything that you could ever do. I think as a a good parent, like that's something that just sort of comes inherent um, to us. Like I said earlier, before we were talking, before we started this interview, I have a five-year-old and that's really how I feel. Like in my gut, I hope that she supersedes anything I can do ever. That's always your, your hope as a parent. And for me, it was the same with dibs. I just wanted dibs to supersede me and to be greater than me. And I actually have a fun little anecdote that I can share about that in a minute. But the vision behind the brand was if you're going to go to a deserted island somewhere and you were essentially going to be stuck, like obviously, you know, I, I would hope that you would take like your phone or something to get you actually off the island. But in theory, hypothetically, the thought was like, if you could only bring a couple of beauty products with you, what would you bring? I got asked that question all the time. Like, what what would you bring? What are your absolute must-have products? And so we want to be your must-have products. We want to be the three to five, you know, makeup products that you just absolutely can't live without, that if you don't have them, your makeup doesn't look the same. Like you just don't, it's just, you have to have these products because they're life-changing essentially um, for your your routine and, and how you feel and how you look and all these things. And so that's why we created Dibs, standing for Desert Island Beauty Status. But quick little story. I was in Soho House the other day and I was coming out of the stall in the bathroom. I was with two of my girlfriends and I casually said, I need to touch up my bronzer and my blush. And this girl comes walking in and she just sort of bursts out, oh my God, I know exactly what you need. And I'm sitting there like, okay, what do I need? And she's like, well, I just found this brand. I ordered it like a couple of weeks ago. I'm obsessed with that. I ordered another color. It's a stick. And I'm like, oh really? Like, tell me all about it. And she's like, it's got bronzer on one side and blush on the other. And she just pulls out her dibs. And she's sitting here like so passionately telling me about why I need the product that obviously I created. And she had no idea that I created it. And it was the coolest moment for me because it was this moment of sort of realizing dibs is already starting to surpass me essentially. Like it's already starting to grow and to sort of have a spider web effect that really trickles out into everything. And here is this like really cool girl in the bathroom telling me why I need dibs. She's selling me on the product I created and I'm just sitting there letting her talk. And one of my friend kind of blurts out like, oh, that's her brand. And she just had no idea. It was this really cool sort of serendipitous moment that I got to be a fly on the wall. And that's the kind of passion that we've seen a lot of people have for dibs. It's really this you have to tell your mom, your sister, your coworker, like you just got to tell someone because you love it so much. That's something we obviously hope to continue. 
And tell me about the product development. Is the blush bronzer stick your main hero product right now? Is that your top seller? It's a hero. Yeah, she, she's a hero. Um, the blush and bronzer is huge. So the Desert Island Duo, our status stick is another bestseller. And then our brush, actually. Our double-sided brush was sort of something that came out of, um, to give Jeff a reference, came out of left field. And um, it really has surprised us, but people are absolutely obsessed with this brush. And when you try it, you'll you'll get it. We'll have to send you some if you don't have it. But it's just iconic. It's the best brush. It blends like I mean, unlike anything, to be honest, it's so good. Again, I can't do my makeup without it. So that has fallen into our top sellers as well. Yeah, it was a 10,000-person wait list for the first restock. And then I believe as of this morning, it's now at 12,000 for next restock, which is coming imminently. And I think one of the things that really threads all of these products together, not just the heroes Courtney mentioned, but the full array, is that every single one of these products is multifunctional in some way, that there's this spectrum of innovation that sets it apart, we really, really find it key to be original in a way that's both new and exciting and improvement-focused on what's in the market, but also familiar enough that someone with zero makeup knowledge doesn't feel intimidated. I think that's really where um, a lot of the solutions came from. And really, you know, when these ideas are born, a lot of them from Courtney's mind, they're also being born from the conversations she, as well as the entire team, are having with the customers, right? You know, that's uh, there's always grounding for that. Like, it's common sense makeup, right? It's uh, kind of obvious when you think about it, but then wait, no one else did it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we talk about that a lot. It's like, wait, you know, people are familiar with bronzer. Obviously, they're familiar with blush. and No one's ever put them together. We did, and we were really excited about it. Um, but it feels, it's this combination between feeling familiar, people having enough of an understanding where it's not overwhelming, because I think there's a difference in beauty being exciting and giving you this joy of even being fun and then just being overwhelming. Like, you don't really even want to deal with it while still feeling fresh. Because personally, from trying all the products that I tried, and I know just from talking to a lot of the people that follow me, I felt like anything that was deemed sort of as really easy to use and multifunctional and these things that we are at Dibs, it felt kind of boring and lackluster and I just wasn't super excited about it. And so we try to combine that excitement with the multifunctioning and actually like purpose-based beauty. And tell us about the target customer you have in mind. How would you describe them? All 50 states. Uh, first and foremost, even more than like your typical demographic range, right? In, in, in this industry, people love to segment people by demographics. Are you Gen Z? Are you 15? No, that's not what we are really focused on. The fact is, woman, uh, we had a, a customer write to us who said, I am 56 following Courtney, a 30-something-year-old, and I have never felt more beautiful. You have made my makeup easy breezy. And uh, you know, we value that customer as much as we value the TikTok audience that is just exponentially growing for us. But what we truly, truly, you know, have put our stake in the ground for is that this is a 50-state brand. And in fact, our team is right now in Utah right now doing one of our many <laughs> you know, very well-known events to bring the brand to the community. And, you know, we could compete like every other brand for the coastal cities, the ones that I'm from, LA, New York, and be one of 800 brands fighting for that market. But we're trying to speak to everyone in America. 
And I think it's been really cool too. Um, the feedback that I've gotten is that I'll have someone that's following me that's younger, maybe they're 20 something. They absolutely love the brand or they've shared it with their aunt. They've shared it with their mom. Now the mom's obsessed with the brand or it goes the other way around where the mom will fall in love with it and they can buy it for their daughter who may be 16, she may be 26. So it really does just kind of uh, transcend age, which I think has been honestly pretty cool to see. It really is for anyone who loves beauty. I have friends that are makeup artists that do major celebrities makeup pretty consistently for carpets. We've seen Miranda Kerr wear dibs. I mean, tons of people are wearing dibs from A-list models, celebrities, makeup artists to, you know, my grandma, who's 95, killing it, by the way. Um, And then people who just have zero makeup knowledge. So it really can span. And I think that was something else that always excited me for dibs and something that Jeff and I have really prioritized, which has been the formula should be so good. We want to be the absolute best formulas on the market. And I genuinely can sit here and say that, like, I really believe that we are. And I think that's sort of being proven in how people are using the product and the repurchase rate and stuff like that. Um, But if you have zero makeup knowledge, you can wear this, I mean, on bare skin, you can use the duo just like right on your bare skin over some sunscreen for a summer day at the pool, or you can wear this on the red carpet. So it really is super, um, there's like a huge range of what you can do with the product. Yeah. And it's interesting, Jeff, that you mentioned there's an event in Utah Obviously, there's so many influencer events every day here in LA. How do you approach the event strategy? Do you hold events in a lot of different states or how do you think about that? Our biggest events speak for themselves. Like been in Utah, in Indianapolis, in Nashville, in Austin, where obviously we're headquartered and where Courtney is, um, is queen, uh, Dallas as well. Where the way we think about these events is that they're not influencer events. They're events for the community. You know, like we want the community to feel welcome, to be feel a part of them. There's always a piece of the event which is either focused on giving back or inviting the broader audience, especially the Dibs fans in, in each state. Um, I'm planning on doing one in West Virginia. I think I have my full customer list. They're all welcome to coffee with Jeff and free makeup when we make it down. <laughs> but I think one thing that Courtney and I are really proud of, right, is that we hear very often, you know, I feel so comfortable and so welcome at your event. I don't feel like I'm, you know, being excluded. I don't feel like, oh, it's a cool girls club. I also don't feel like it's a, in these events are beautifully curated. They're, you know, we're very proud. They're really champions of the brand. And that's credit to our team that executes them. But at the same time, um, they're really there to fulfill a very different purpose, I think, than many of the other influencer events that you're seeing from um, other brands. Yeah, I I totally agree. And obviously, as someone who's been to many influencer events on the other end of that, you really do, a lot of them really do sort of hold this like who's who vibe, like pressure. And I feel like um, much like our makeup, it really is no pressure. And I think it, it feels very welcoming. And there's the immediate sort of air of that when you walk in. And I think that's something that we're really proud of it, both uh, at our company within like the culture of our brand, as well as our events that carries into pretty much everything that we do, including like our photo shoots. And uh, we just had that conversation last week, actually. But that's really important to us that people just feel welcome and comfortable. And it's just, it's a community gathering. It's not like this sort of uh, hoity, I don't know, exclusion situation. And Courtney, do you take any knowledge from your career as an influencer to bring to your influencer marketing mm-hmm. strategy? Do you have a similar influencer marketing strategy to other brands you've worked with? How do you approach that? Oh, hell yeah, definitely. I think like 
doing this for the past nine years has taught me what it's like to be on the other side of this. And so I know I always want the people that we work with to feel valued and respected and just engaged in a way that is exciting, that that they want to work hard for the brand because they know that we genuinely care about them. And I think we pay attention to small details. That's major. When it comes to choosing influencers, I also think um, we're pretty particular about that because of just knowledge I have of the industry for doing this for so long. But um, really choosing people who we think are not only going to convert and um, but genuinely love the brand. I feel like I, I will say I see brands going after people who oftentimes like don't use the product at all. And we really sort of start, try to start with people who are loving and using dips on their own. And it feels super genuine um, and authentic as overused as that word is. I feel like it's really important for people to just love the brand. And then it's fun to be able to reward them and to um, be able to collaborate them on a with the, like on a greater level like that, like to be able to pay them, they genuinely love the product and it's just fun. But absolutely, I think we try to do little things, send people flowers. We um, get those touches that are small, but they're actually big at the end of the day. Those are always my favorite brands to work with. The, the people that is kind of morbid, but like the people that sent me flowers or a card when my dad passed away or just the people who really pay attention to not only like what you can do for them, but like just who you are as a person. That's really important to me. And we try to do that too. We're in the business of relationships here. That's what Courtney's really getting at. Because the fact of the matter is a basic influencer strategy is there's nothing special about that. Every company does it. Um, no matter how you're positioned, you have to have one. And um, and there are only so many ways you throw the needle. It's how you execute it and your philosophy behind it. And Courtney is not only a great um, kind of guidepost, she is also frequently the first one out the gate asking if this person has been followed up with, you know, how many touches are does the team have with another influencer and every single member on this team, myself included, has a relationship with um, some portion of our partnership base. Everyone plays that role because it is a team effort. And so, um, you know, we invest in these relationships months in advance before we even do anything and, and we view our best partners as there with us for life. And when it comes to influencer marketing, what is the best way to drive conversion? Do you do anything with affiliate links or anything like that? We definitely do use a lot of affiliate links. Um, personally, I use a lot of like to know it because it's just an easy way for my customer base to get everything in one place. Even when I'm on TikTok, I'll often say like, oh, it's in my LTK or it's in my bio just because it's easy for people to shop that way. Um, so we love affiliate. I think it's just, it makes it simple for the customer, which is nice because it does centralize everything. So that's been that's been really good. And a big key in terms of conversion is how you present the product. Again, going to Courtney's point about the genuineness, the attachment the person has, the fact of the matter is you can tell. People who consume this content on a regular basis can tell, even if it's just that spidey sense of it, you know, like whether the person truly loves it, whether they're seeing it on the shelf or at the, you know, on the sink in the background when it's not being talked about. And, uh, you know, the customer, I think, has to be respected because the customer is smarter than ever. And a lot of brands don't do that work. Yeah. And I think too, it's about how, what kind of work does the brand do and does the influencer team do to really know the influencer? Again, it goes back to what I'm saying. Do you know that like so-and-so's parent passed away? Do you know that so-and-so just got a dog? Do you like, what do you really know about the person? Because the more you know about the person that you're actually talking to and that you're about to create a campaign with essentially, the better you can target how that goes. So for example, if you know me on Instagram, 
I talk a lot on my stories. If another brand wants to work with me, it would make a lot more sense to do stories than it would to do a static post. But then you have people who are super aesthetic and it's, you know, you're going to get more juice if you make a beautiful static post that, you know, feels like an ad with them. So I think it's about not only the influencer having the wherewithal to be super authentic and share your product in a way that people really respond well to. And, and I mean, honestly, that's like what makes part of what makes a good influencer is their ability to connect with their audience and know how people are going to receive things and, you know, the way that they can share it. But also you as the brand, knowing what to ask for, knowing what the person that you're working with, the partner is really good at, like what their strengths are. I think that's really important. And how does the influencer affiliate marketing fit into your overall retail strategy? Because you're obviously stocked with Revolve. Where does that fit in when you're also so big into social shopping. Is social shopping revolutionizing the way people shop these days or is it just a part of a bigger retail strategy? What are your thoughts on that? We're an omni-channel brand and we are always designed to be an omni-channel brand, um, you know, as dips grows. But we're also digital first and social shopping is not going to go away. And it is really just, um, and if nothing else, it is possibly one of the most important touch points our customer will have with the brand before they make the decision, whether it's in Revolve or down the road, we are looking at brick and mortar at last. (laughs) They came calling early, but we wanted to take our time and grow this properly. Um, The fact is, when we think about affiliate marketing, that should always be a key component of the brand, but also a diversified share of the brand, both within the affiliates that you're working with and the share of the brand. One of the best Um, uh, numbers that Courtney and I are most proud of is that while her revenues have continued to grow, which has frankly surprised me, (laughs) and I'm very um, honest about that, um, Courtney's direct um, uh, percentage of revenue attributable to herself has also decreased, meaning that she continues to grow as a person, but the brand is diversifying um, towards the point of the mission being something greater than any one person. But in terms of the social shopping revolution, we are also on every new platform. We're exploring all of them, ranging from live video streaming, Flip. We have had a great partnership with Super Great um, to some of the even more exotic things that are coming down the pipeline. I think the fact of the matter is, though, we're a small and scrappy team. And we are very careful about how we leverage our resources and we're going with places that make sense for us. And that's why Revolve made a lot of sense for us. Courtney is a Revolve ambassador. Uh, People who shop on Revolve love the two-day shipping and the ease of purchase. Makes a lot of sense for our brand to be there. We focus a lot of attention and energy on that partnership. And we're very proud to have always been a top 10 uh, Revolve brand uh, since we launched. And I think that Dibs is also a true, like, while we're obviously a beauty brand, like it genuinely feels like a lifestyle brand because I think that when you start using Dibs, you realize that you put it into your lifestyle. You take it with you. It's very on the go. Um, It can be, you, you know, you wear it to the gym or you wear it out on date night. And I think that's what's cool about being on Revolve is that it sort of has that same flex where you can go and you build a whole outfit. So it feels more like this lifestyle situation. You may go and build a whole outfit and then also throw in your status stick that you need for your legs, throw in your shoes, throw in your, uh, you know, whatever, your skirt. So it's kind of cool that you can get it in a lifestyle way because that's really how you use dips in your everyday life. And Courtney, how much do you focus on dibs in your own personal social content these days? I would say a lot because it really is just a core part of who I am. But again, it's become, I mean, it's 
Jeff can attest to this. It's become a complete full-time job for me. Obviously, we are both co-founders. As you know, Jeff is the CEO and I'm the chief creative officer. So um, I'm, I mean, we're in meetings every single day. We're in product ideation, creation, sharing um, what I do on socials as well. So I've been trying to share some behind-the-scenes stuff too on socials since my day-to-day has really changed a lot as I um, have been more involved in dibs for the past, you know, two and a half years. Um, and we've been traveling a lot. And so really it's, I shared a lot because it's my life. It's my, it's my everyday life at this point. What would you say is your top social platform in terms of what you're posting the most on and spending the most energy on these days? Are you still focused mainly on Instagram? What do you think about TikTok? So I focus more on TikTok. I think if I'm being honest, um, and that's pretty bold coming from me. TikTok started actually when I really started TikToking, it was because Instagram was down one day. It wasn't letting me post anything, which I feel like we've all had our Instagram uh, frustrations. And I'm the first to voice those. It's super frustrating when that was my full time gig for such a long time. And it's just really just sort of toxic. Um, the platform itself, uh, not the people, but just as far as like, you never know, like, will it let you post one day? Will it not? Is it going to show your content to anyone? Um, and so Instagram really wasn't letting me post one day. And so I kind of said, like, honestly, screw it. Like, I'm going to go to TikTok. Why the hell not? And I remember coming from talking to, you know, 900,000 people on Instagram. I go over to TikTok and I think I had like 14K or something because it was people that were um, super like amazing, loyal Instagram people that came over to TikTok. But I really hadn't posted many videos. And I started doing this like grocery haul from Trader Joe's. And I just remember feeling like I was talking to no one. And it was so exciting in the weirdest way. I was like, this feels so fresh, feels so new. Like, don't know if anyone's going to see this. What's up? It was very liberating. I felt like um, people that have been following me on Instagram, I would not be where I am without them, period. Like, that's just a fact. And I'm eternally grateful to every person that has followed me over there and continues to do so. It's been really cool. Much like Tula and I, my Instagram followers and I have really grown up together in many ways. But they have seen me through, I mean having a kid before I was a mom, being married, a divorce, like starting a brand. They've really seen me grow up in so many ways. And I think that there's so much beauty in that, but it also has this, um, I think that people expect something specific. Whereas when I got onto TikTok, I was like, I can just be a hundred percent me as I am today. And so TikTok has just been fun for me. And it's been cool that we've been able to see growth over there. It just feels like I can go on um, really fresh. So I would say TikTok is kind of my favorite right now, but I'll always love Instagram just because it's what built me in many ways. And how do you approach TikTok marketing for the brand? Obviously, we see so many viral beauty trends on TikTok every day. I feel like every time I go on the app, there's a new contouring tutorial where they're telling you to put it on different parts of your face. Do you tap into any of those trends or follow it? Or how do you approach your TikTok strategy? I definitely try things out because much like fashion, it's just fun to try out trends like that. But I will say when it comes to dibs, we really don't chase trends. We try to um, do things that make people feel good, that flatter people's features. And I think that's the cool thing about things like the contouring tutorials that you're talking about. It's really aimed at like, how do you figure out what's best for your face? I don't know if people really know how to like articulate that exactly, but that's really what you're doing because for so long it was, 
okay, you place it here, you place it here, and this is a one-size-fits-all. And the fact is that beauty isn't a one-size-fits-all. In many ways, you have to do what works for you. What works for to contour my nose isn't going to work for your nose, isn't going to work for his nose or her nose. Like it, It's very specific. And so I think the trends are cool if you can hop on them because you're just testing out what works for you. But we definitely try not to chase trends when it comes to product ideation and creation because we want to be, again, original, forward-thinking, and not sort of chasing our tail on that. So it's fun to experiment with it on socials, but we don't do that when it comes to creating products, if that makes sense. Our products are for a lifetime and not just for a 15-second TikTok. You know, that's really the philosophy. And there's a lot of pressure on us as a brand, like any other beauty brand, to try to aim for virality. From the business side, that's just not something we factor in. I think there's a difference, too, in having a viral product, which we have had. I can't open my phone up at this point without saying divs, which is amazing, obviously. But there's a difference in having a viral product and um, trying to create something specifically because it's the thing of the moment. And I think that's kind of where you get into danger, dangerous territory. So a few final questions to wrap up. You guys are so new what are you looking at for the next year? Do you have more products in the pipeline? What can we expect? Jeff, I'll let you tackle this one. I feel like I always end up saying too much. <laughs> we're showing is also, you know, uh, something we don't have to worry about here, both you and me, because we're so excited. I think Courtney is really getting into a bit of the amazing pipeline that we have. It actually extends all the way through 2025 right now, what we have confirmed in development. Again, some of these products won't see the light of day. I think we have a chemist who would rather never hear from us ever again. I mean, we killed, you know, uh, 13 uh, months of work on a lip product that, you know, ultimately Courtney said felt too derivative of something on the market. So nothing is ever really guaranteed, but you're going to see a lot of innovation in areas that we think require problem solution with a bit of that joy de vivre that um, we've talked about. You're also going to see the business continue to double down on what makes it amazing. The many uses of the duo stick, of the different liners that we have. We have what we think is the first time you can customize an eye and a lip combination. So it, a lot of this is just about educating people on the many different ways that you can use dibs. And as Courtney likes to say, getting dibs into the hands of more people. Really proud that our January we posted, I believe it will come out to about 700% year-on-year growth versus January of the preceding year. So we are definitely seeing a lot more people getting their hands on it. But Courtney and I are on a mission. We yeah, ab- absolutely. And to piggyback on what Jeff said, I think we're just very particular about what we create and how that sort of fits into not only our brand, but what's out there as well. And obviously you can't always you can't always predict that and know that. But I feel like what we see a lot of brands doing lately is essentially like duping something else. And that's just not super interesting to me. I feel like it's kind of, for lack of a better way to say it, it's kind of a tacky way to go about things. Whereas like I would much rather create something that feels exciting and has a level of innovation or originality to it. To me, just like doing the same thing that every other brand is doing and just, you know, making it a dollar fifty less is just not, not super exciting to me. And I don't feel proud to do that. You know, I want to respect other brands. Like there's so many amazing brands that um, I like as a, a consumer also obviously love. And I, I want to respect people's brands and creations and ideas in the way that I would want ours respected. And what about retailers? Is there anything you can say about upcoming retail partners? 
We've been approached by virtually every major retailer. And so we are in the process of kind of sorting through that process. And uh, what I can say is that dibs will be coming to even more channels um, in even the near to midterm. But in a way that makes sense for both us and our customer. We want to make it easy on the customer, but we also want to preserve the values that have kept this brand going, um, including during um, a year where it was just Courtney, myself, and our co-founders, Dan and Ken, ideating and thinking through what we were trying to do with dibs. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing what's in store for the brand in the future. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Real pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.